I'm a black man carrying the stars and stripes. What don't I understand? Every time I pick this up, I know there are millions of people out there that are going to hate me for it. Even now, here, I feel it. The stares, the judgment. And there's nothing I can do to change it. Yet, I'm still here. No super serum, no blonde hair or blue eyes. The only power I have is that I believe we can do better. I'm Chris Spivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today we talk about Captain America and the Winter Soldier. It took a long time to get here, but we are finally talking about the greatest superhero ever. The epitome of greatness on this podcast today. Indeed. Although I, I admit when you said the title, I figured it was one of two things you were going to say. Either Captain America, the Winter Soldier, or Black Falcon, and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> Since the, the Black Falcon would have been the joke, but I can't do the joke at the top of the show because there's music. And there isn't the time for me to throw in a punchline. So I, know, I, I went know. with what the show should have been called from the start instead of what it was called. Right. I, or even like, and, and that, that, that we're kind of going in the process, but really ultimately this is a show about becoming Captain America. Um, and the fact that Captain America is such a prominent character. There's, there's really four quote-unquote Captains America in this on some level. And... Uh, uh, the fact that Captain America as a name is nowhere in the title of the show is actually kind of of wrong in retrospect. It should be Captain America colon the Falcon and the Winter Soldier or something, you know. It should be in the title somewhere. Um, much, I think, like the past few times, I'm going to start off at the top with a negative that I have for the entire show. Okay. I hate and despise the entire premise of the show yeah the fact that you have a black character who once again because this is the trope that is constantly written is insecure and is incapable of doing the role and that is the entire premise of the of this show i hated it when it first came when i saw the title of the show i knew this is probably what's gonna be about and i did not want that show i didn't want to watch it i didn't want to see it and you don't have that same constant retelling of that trope put onto white characters. They are, for some reason, utterly proficient and excels at a lot of the tasks they're doing even when they first start something. And this is a show about Sam being incapable of being Captain America and needing to try to find that groove. And I've also heard, though, that the movie that's going to come out now is going to retread some of this same ground again. Uh, and... Yes. I, I will say, I will say real quick. I, I, watching it again, I, I it almost comes across like that was um, maybe corporate mandate on some level. Like someone gave this team, this is the arc you have to go through, and they did everything they could to kind of unend and subvert that along the way as possible. So I mean, uh, uh, I'm with you. I don't like the the premise of it, but I do respect the show at least tried to attack and address that problem on, on, on various different fronts uh, um more some successful some not maybe but um it, it certainly felt like there was there was something going on behind the scenes there's certainly a tension in, in the show from a, a conceptual concept okay um and having read the initial run i want to say by nick spencer 
of when Sam takes over the mantle for Captain America after, uh, I guess, long story short, I'll go, I may go into the comic stuff. There's so much here that I could talk about since Captain America. But uh, mm-hmm. so in the comics, Captain America fought someone, I want to say called the Nail, who sucked out all the Super Soldier Serum out of Cap, and Cap became a 90, 100-year-old person. Super mm-hmm. fit, but a super fit 100-year-old <laughs> person that was no longer Super Soldier and passed the mantle over to Sam. And even in the comic version of this, it was primarily, I want to say, I think it was Nick Spencer, the guy who wrote the the Nazi cap. Oh, that guy. Right. Yeah, that guy was the person that was writing this. And I read probably about the first 13, 14 issues of it, but I couldn't finish it because of how he was writing the story he was telling. It wasn't about Sam being Captain America. It was about Sam constantly not being able to be Captain America. Mm-hmm. And he brought in a supporting cast of like Misty Knight, uh, your buddy D-Man. D-Man. Woo. And they were doing a lot of the heavy lifting and it was like a lot of the time Sam just failing. And that's mm-hmm. not what I want to read in general for a comic. And it's definitely not what I want to read about a as a black veteran watching another, well, depending on which universe you're in, Sam's either a veteran, uh, school teacher, but we, we get into that in a second too. Right. But to see him, a black man constantly failing at this thing and being hated in addition to all that, there has yeah. to be an aspirational piece to it in there somewhere. And that wasn't there. And the show, my major concern was going to reflect that throughout the entire piece. That was my initial concern when I first started the show. And I'm not going to say whether or not I think that right now, because we're, we're at the top of the show, but that is what I brought in when I first watched this. And that's why I wanted to start at the very top of the show stating, I hate this conceit. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I dislike, and we talked about this in the last episode is the timing. Um, we, we talked a little bit how the timing of how these shows released to kind of weakened both on some level. Um, and uh, in this one, uh, this is, this was, this is a show that very much felt like I mentioned this before, it's, it's a very long movie and, and this structure this is paced very much like that um there there there's not a lot of episodic content it kind of just thing happens thing happens thing happens thing happens and we cut it into roughly an hour chunks uh combined with the fact is that there are a couple of mysteries in this and following on the heels of a very intricate uh uh constantly mind-bending mystery that everyone was really obsessed with the the core mystery that happens or one of the core mysteries that happens here is, is so obvious to see that if this had come first it probably would have been a little less picked apart because people were now in mystery solving mode um it probably would have been more of a twist and then to follow with one division where people are like oh hey there's a twist that happened here now let's watch a show it's all about those kinds of twists that i think that would have fled a lot better um, so when I first watched this, I was kind of meh about it um, because uh, I, much like you, I wasn't kind of, I wasn't happy with the the conceit that was going to go into it, and, and the first episode was like, oh, I see where this is going, um, and also I just I felt like it suffered. This is one of the few shows we've watched, however, in this run where I actually have a better appreciation of the show watching it a second time because most of my things are either I feel less inclined towards it. Or um, I'm I'm happy with it in a different way, but this is one of the very few times where I'm like, actually, I'm glad I watched this again because I like this a lot more on the second watch when I don't have all of one division fresh in my head. Yeah, 
uh, hands down. Even just from how they how the plot beats work, as we were just saying, it's more of a movie style show. It would have been a perfect lead into what Disney Television could be, mm-hmm. and would have been sort of the hand holding show to get fans to where they wanted to go. Right, because it felt more like the movies they watch. Yeah, which would have elevated WandaVision, which would have given Falcon the Winter Soldier the solid foundational base that it needed as a show, too. But COVID did what COVID did. Right. And so that didn't happen. Right. And I think the show's also, depending on which internet site you read, the show supposedly had additional episodes, both WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but they were cut or truncated to make up for the impacts of COVID. That was a, a huge debate. And I saw some that says that, that it happened, some that say that it did not happen, that this was the original intent for Falcon Winter Soldier the whole time. And I will let people choose what they want to believe. I'm going to believe that the store was impacted because there are some rough plot points that I don't think they would have left in. I mean, on the one hand, I say that's true. On the other hand, I feel like if there were, in fact, missing episodes that... Uh, uh, with the exception of the ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to that, um, there, there's just it would just end up padding. I think I, I think that the, the pacing of the show as is is actually quite strong as a result. Um, so if there was issue at, at episodes that may have been kind of the ending feels a bit rushed, uh, kind of going out a little bit, but then maybe that's where the extra episodes would have been, and maybe I could see that happening. But I, I feel like if there had been more in the middle, it it, it would have been almost flabby. Uh, and that's, that's an argument I think we've had like in the mm-hmm. uh, uh, Netflix versions where we felt like they're about two episodes too long. So I think this is actually a pretty strong, solid length. Yeah. Much how WandaVision, I know, is supposed to have been an additional episode. And I think that one would have done better to have been cut maybe one episode more. Yeah. And that would have mm-hmm. increased the strength of that. But we're not here to talk about WandaVision. And uh, we're digressing into structure. Instead... <laughs> Because I could go on a long speech about the characters inside of the show that would last the entire length of our normal podcast run. So I'm trying, I've been using this time to think of how I'm going to give a short overview of them. So I'm, I, I I'm will riffing say, and quick, expressing comments. Before you, before you go into the short version, I will say if people do want a slightly longer version of this, we accidentally walk into a lot of these characters in our Armor Wars coverage. Um, so, And we did talk a fair bit about Captain America and some of the... Uh, things that were going on at, the, at that time and that status quo is pretty heavily uh, part of what we're talking about here. So if you do want that more detailed information, go back and listen to the Armor Wars run and we'll cover a lot of that there. But now you have a chance to kind of do a shorter version knowing that that longer version exists. <laughs> All right. So we go with uh, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Captain America, a.k.a. Falcon, a.k.a. Black mm-hmm. Falcon, a.k.a. Snap Wilson. Yeah, or oh, some God, people like I forgot to say, Snap Wilson. Oh shit! <laughs> you, you knew I was going to bring that up. Uh, oh, or man. some people would like to say Falcon Cap. <laughs> so Sam would probably have been for Marvel their second black superhero and primary black superhero and first African American superhero because Black Panther, I think, was Marvel's first real predominant black superhero who came Did- out in '66. Did Black Goliath come out after him? I want to say Goliath was in the 70s and Sam okay. and T'Challa are in the 60s. No, you're right. You're right. Because uh, Sam was created by Kirby. Right. Yeah. My bad. And in Sam's initial 
when Sam first showed up, it was, of course, in a very weird 60-esque way that they introduced Sam. He was, I want to say, on an island under the mind control of the Red Skull, and there were villagers on the island, and Steve showed up and had to inspire people, but the Red Skull tried to use his mind control to have Sam fight Steve. Uh, long story short, they became BFFs, so much so that the comic run of Captain America, they changed the title of the comic from Captain America to Captain America and Falcon. And it stayed mm-hmm. like that for about eight, nine years. Yeah. And that is what yeah. it was. And that's what you got. Two buddies kicking butt for social justice. That's like the comic. And I could break out some comic covers that I have that Eddie has not seen yet. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save those until we do a different episode when he's not expecting it. Nice. To be fair, that and that's actually um, we've talked before in, in genres, but Captain America comic wise is not something I have a deep familiarity with. Um, usually, as he intersected with other groups, and in particular, that seventies run is something. I think I think that's the Mark primarily Mark Grunewald run. Am I right on that? Um, I think I thought Grunewald was the eighties. Maybe uh, no, no, right, right. Grunewald eighties one is the one I did read. Um, so seventies would have, I don't remember who did a lot of the Cap Falcon stuff. Kirby uh, wrote, edited right. himself, drew a good chunk of it, and then it transitioned over to someone's name who eludes me. I, I'm sorry, comic book artist. It, if you're falling in the shadow of King Kirby for me, I will likely forget you at least momentarily when I'm put on the spot. That That's fair. Um, uh, but the point is that that is a run that I, I've always been meaning to get back to, partially because uh, um, I, I, I'm curious about how that played out. I know that was when um, Cap as uh, engaging with the politics of the day became much more prominent uh, in the comic book. Uh, and um, also just, I, that was like, was some of the point where, where Kirby was kind of just being super particularly weird. Uh, and, and I'm always here for like some of his really more outre, let's just get really wild with it, storytelling stuff. So yeah, I mean, Are to kind of go back to it. Speaking about the Mad Bomb. The Mad Bomb, who was a person apparently. Um, but also a bomb or the secret empire where literally not just some vague uh, uh, president states, Richard Nixon was actually a supervillain. Well, some things can be true. Um, yes. So I, we could go on and on about that, but I want to focus a little bit more on Sam's history because Sam has had a very problematic history. It happens a lot when they, have a lot of white writers writing for black characters and Sam. Ha- All right. I guess I should technically say Sam in some iterations has a superpower and <laughs> where he can, he has a telepathic link to red wing, who is in fact a real bird in the comics. Yep. And sometimes that expands off to all birds. Sometimes he can see through other birds eyes. Sometimes he has no powers and it's all just, he's a great at training birds. Right, reasons. Um, but that all that have been said, at no point in time could Sam fly. But his first winged jetpack, if memory serves, was built by T'Challa, and mm. that's really relevant because at the time there would have primarily been, as I was started off the top with, two black superheroes. So it gives a touchstone for Sam to Wakanda in a sense, and having T'Challa have some influence there. And so mm. they already would have known each other, and they build in some sort of bond of friendship there. 
so the problematic parts of Sam's history is that the writers have continuously changed his history throughout some of it, and they've introduced it a criminal element, which is the Snaps Wilson persona, where he worked for the mob and did all this other stuff. And then that was, depending on where you go, that's retconned away as a Red Skull having a cosmic cube that he was using to control Sam. <laughs> um, Henry Peter Gyrick, for all of our X-Men fans, has also had a, played a bit in Sam's history where he had Sam join the Avengers as, as part of a diversity move. Uh, and it's in the comics this is that and sam finds out sam quits the avengers and so there's all these things are constantly being redone which coupled with what my comments from the top of the show that i want like this is one of the premier black superheroes in marvel from the start and i wanted a better better stories for this character mm -hmm. and funnily enough the ultimate version of sam where they make him the military background and everything else plays better for the character and it works really well. Mm -hmm. And one of the differences that we're going to talk about shortly in the comic compared to the show is that the comics version of Sam, much like many heroes is from New York. He's from Harlem. Following the show, they shifted it to new Orleans for Anthony Mackie, who I believe is from new Orleans. Oh, okay. That's cool. Uh, so that's a quick, somewhat quick two or three minutes, uh, synopsis of Sam to give you a quick touchstone. And then we move over to Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Captain America, a.k.a. the Watcher. I missed that out, section. Hang out on the moon for a little bit. He, he was no Nick Fury when Nick Fury was the Watcher, who had the big eye around his Oh, head. yeah, that, that's a whole separate thing. Oh, my. He was possessed uh, by the Watcher briefly. Yeah. yeah. So Bucky was Captain America's kid sidekick from the comics. Depending on which iteration of the comics you read, sometimes... He was either just a, a plucky kid with a lot of spunk or a trained 13-year-old killer that stuck behind enemy lines and stabbed people so that Steve could look like a hero. Um, sometimes they made him older, but either way, um, he and Steve helped stop the Nazis. Big plane explosion. Steve gets frozen. Um, Bucky gets supposedly killed. Turns out he was captured programmed trained to be a killer and he became the winter soldier working for in the comics i think it was the soviets if memory serves sounds right and he shows back up he gets deep brainwashed somewhat and eventually becomes captain america works for shield and is still just a general badass that's running around the comics yep also, john has been dead off and on a lot of times <laughs> well so Everybody just about. Right. Uh, John motherfucking Walker uh, is, a, is an asshole in the comics, is an asshole in the show. Although in the show, they made a particular point to try to make him more likable because they didn't want him to be the villain. Boo. That was in some different stuff that I read, too. Uh, but he got he was a wrestler with some other people. He got superhuman strength. The government decided to have him be a replacement Captain America when Steve decided the government wasn't doing things right and he lost his shield. Uh, I could well, actually, became... actually you, you missed, you missed a bit there um, where uh, he got his powers and decided to start uh, going around as the Patriot um, without, with no U S backing and was 
basically super alt-right superhero and the US government says that's the guy we want as Captain America then brought him in and he's like maybe I should not be as racist as I was before yeah we I think we covered that in the uh <laughs> our armor wars just how I left out his two of his sidekicks left and right wing yes yes oh uh Battlestar um much like in the comic Battlestar was Walker's partner Mm. He in the comics he actually also has got powers from the power broker and they're both low super strength super endurance very low level. Uh, Agent thirteen, Sharon Carter worked for mm-hmm. Shield. She was depending on which iteration of comics you read, the niece, cousin, great granddaughter of Peggy Carter, depending on how the timeline shifts. Yep, she is a great agent. Eventually gets controlled. And is a person that supposedly assassinates Steve Rogers in the comics. Also dated Steve Rogers in the comics. Yeah. So a lot of these are pretty much almost like spot on from here they're going. But I am going to take... No, I'm going to do that one last. Flag Smasher. In the comics, Flag Smasher is not an organization. It's a dude that dresses in a black and white costume that goes around and at the start smashes flags. Yep. With a mace. Literally with a mace. Yeah, it's it, it, he's not a subtle character. Uh, we have Betroc the Leaper, uh, a French mercenary who quite literally leaps and kicks people that with a more colorful costume. And I, 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 I want to take a moment to point out that uh, uh, the MCU has reinvented a lot of characters, and some of them have have been very different from their iterations. some have been very close to their initiations, some have been worse iterations. This is one of the few times where the MCU is miles above made that character way better than he was in the comic. <laughs> Patrick the fucking Leaper is terrible. Oh, I, I almost forgot. Uh, Baron fucking Zemo in the comics. So I didn't do any additional reading for these as I knew a lot of Captain America stuff. Is uh, Nazi. He has a chemical called or what was it? Uh, adhesive chemical X. X adhesive X. So his mask is literally stuck to his face, but he is a master fencer, master tactician. He was the mastermind behind the initial iteration of I think it was a Thunderbolts where mm-hmm. he makes turn supervillains and they masquerade as superheroes until the public loves him as superheroes. And most of the villains go, you know, I think I like being a hero. Fuck you, Baron Zemo until he exposes them. And then it gets a little shady for a while, but most of those villains actually turn out to be anti-heroes by the end of it. Yep. Then we go to the last one I'm going to discuss, unless there's someone else Eddie wants to hit on, Isaiah Bradley. Yeah, talk about him. We only, sorry. we only briefly discussed Isaiah Bradley. We only Sorry, we only briefly see Isaiah Bradley in the show, but he is one of the first Captain Americas. In the comics, they originally took on one of the um, this is for your, your history fans you can go and do a lot of this yourself but there was a group of black people that they gave syphilis to that they gave them placebos to tell them that it was a cure for it and in fact they wanted to study the effects on people mm-hmm. and the story of isaiah bradley is kind of taking some of those key elements in applying it to the concept of the super soldier serum where they were experimenting on 
black soldiers beforehand to try to get the perfect version of the serum to give to Steve. Mm -hmm. And Isaiah Bradley was one of the only versions that came was it was only one of the only people that came out of that that worked and he mm -hmm. went overseas fought they went overseas but he fought he saved a lot of people and when he came back he was imprisoned by the government and they continued to experiment on him for about 40 50 years mm -hmm. until he got out and it had a, a severe impact on his mental health on him as a person and he had a wife who was constantly petitioning the government to try to free him for decades it is a tragic story. If you haven't read it, I think the comic originally called was Red, White, and Black. Yeah. Um, you should just go and read it. It's a fantastic run, frankly. I've I prattle on about a lot of characters, some at more length than others, to try to keep it a little shorter. Is there anyone else you'd like to touch on that's in the show? I, th I think those are the main ones, um, but uh, uh, I think... Even more than one division, this is definitely a show that is not going to um, go back and help fill you in on what's been going on. This assumes you're pretty much up to date to all, with all the other Captain America movies. Another reason why it's surprising to have Captain America anywhere in the title because this is very much a follow on from specifically the Captain America movies, uh, and um, a lot of the supporting cast are from the Captain America films. Uh, a lot of what's going on here relates to the Captain America films. So uh, th there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen that we're just going to kind of like have to either touch on when we get there or, or, or skim past because that's what this, that's what the show is doing. That's a good way to put it. All right, then let's get into it. Season one, episode one, New World Order. Six months after half of all life returned from the blip, Sam Wilson stops Betrock the Leaper and the terrorist group LAF who have hijacked a plane and taken a hostage over Hesnia with support from the U.S. Air Force First Lieutenant Torres. Wilson, who was given the mantle of Captain America by Steve Rogers, struggles with this idea and decides to give Rogers shield to the U.S. government for a museum display. Bucky Barnes, who was recently pardoned, attends government-mandated therapy, where he discusses his attempts to make amends for his time as the Winter Soldier. Torres investigates another terrorist group, the Flag Smashers, who he believes, uh, who believed life was better during the blip. Torres is injured by a member of the group with superhuman strength when he witnesses them rob a bank in Switzerland. He later informs Wilson of this, who has been attempting to help his reluctant sister Sarah with the family fishing business in Louisiana. The government soon announces a new Captain America, John fucking Walker. Or as some people may know him, the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. Uh, so... I, the show initially starts with my issue that I had with it. So I've put it up front. I'm not going to talk about it again. We're just going to go into the show itself. And I think it should have given uh, a glimpse. Like they should have shown, re-shown the imagery from the movie where you have Cap giving Sam the shield. I think would have added yeah. a lot more power to that scene. Mm -hmm. And seeing that 
on screen would have also helped resubmitted the show that this is still it's a show about Steve Rogers in the end. The underlying right. message throughout the entire show is about Steve Rogers. Yeah, and I'm glad and you brought that up because that was. That was one thing I, I was going to mention. I'm glad you brought that up is because, as I mentioned at the top, there, there's four captains America in this, and Steve Rogers is one of them. This is very much a show that a lot of people on this show are ultimately defined by or engaging with a conversation of who Steve Rogers was. Um, so you never escape the gravity well of Steve Rogers. And I, and I think for this show that makes sense, right? Because you have three living people who are trying to take on the mantle of the fourth person. Well, actually not to say there's five Captain America, Captains America in this um, because we also have uh, Isaiah Bradley. We don't see him yet in this episode, but someone else who's in this conversation. Uh, so um, it's, it's interesting that the most important character in the show is the one who's not present. Mm-hmm. And I do like how they have Sam dressing for a very formal thing to start the show off with. Like, that is a nice touch. It shows mm. reverence of that, of that moment. And then we jump directly into an action scene. Yep. For those people that it showed up that were used to the Marvel movies, you need that hit to, like, get you going. And we get to see Sam in his environment where he, he's cocky because you have the, have the general basically saying, hey, we need this done carefully and be subtle. And he pulls his own Steve move where he just sort of jumps out of a plane, smiling like beautiful. It builds that confidence, shows you that it's someone that is overly proficient in what they do. It's something they've done a lot, which goes back into some of his own history from the military that we have from the movies that he's done, like very well paced. Right. Yeah. And it's... um... You said it's a real good point in the sense of him stepping out of the airplane while it's still in the air and was very much Steve Rogers' move. He's going after Batroc, who is a character that Steve defeated in one of his movies. Um, so there's a lot of showing the audience, yes, Sam is just as capable as Steve Rogers is. Uh, and I think that was really, really important. And therefore a bit weird when then Sam starts going, I don't know if I could do this. Like, you literally just did this. <laughs> you, you just did the job. <sighs> Um, since you did mention that, I want to take a minute to talk about Steve's fight with Batroc, where it's in the movie, and Batroc is so much of a badass that Steve has to stop, and he puts down his own shield just to get into, like, a real fight with him. Mm -hmm. Breaks his normal calm and everything else, and pushes him over the line. Like, that is just a, and Batroc is a super well-trained mercenary. And we get a great aerial scene. I think this is probably one of the the best action pieces in the entire series. Yeah, it is. So all the money went. Uh, and we get introduced to Torres here. Torres, for anyone that's read the comic run, is part of that too, who becomes New Falcon. Oh, I didn't know that one. Uh, in the comic run, they in fights. They encounter someone who's sort of a mad scientist. That's where we get Cap Wolf. So Sam gets turned into a werewolf, kind of how right. Steve did in the 70s. Yes. And Torres gets genetically bonded with the bird, Red Wing, and becomes Falcon. <sighs> hey, Man. folks, you came here for comic knowledge. You're getting nothing but random Captain America tidbits throughout this whole episode. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so we get then we get a shot of people after the mission's over with Torres and Sam sitting, having a talk and people recognizing Sam for the hero. He is, it helped bring everyone back to life. 
mm-hmm. and that was a nice little grounding touch that all the Avengers would be celebrities. Everyone who was out there that was fighting would be known. Yep. Which then adds in a whole layer of good and bad. And in one way, it could parallel the boys where people could potentially use that against them. How we had um, Frenchie do that against A-Train. Well, I forgot his name. A-Train to free uh, Kimoko. Like that is a nice little parallel that could parallel that could easily mm-hmm. use here if they wanted to go in that direction which then shows you that marvel is not trying to go into the darker undersides of the genre itself right yeah and um it's the other thing that i find interesting about that this opening is that it's on the one hand it, it's it's very much uh trying to set the stage for the whole show uh the other hand we said this before it's very much assumes his audience are um you know people who are watching the movies uh there there's not a strong in desire to recap what happened there's th- like the throwaway lines here and there um but the show's not really doing much of the work to to get people on board like they present betrock on screen as if oh you know who this guy is there, there's no there's no reference to his previous fight there. Um, and like I said, uh, uh, if they had just taken like little, like I think it would have been a great moment to like kind of intercut scenes from the various Captain America movies with Sam's moments to kind of show that parallel more explicitly. And then also quietly recap the audience on who these people are. Um, but it's, so it's a great action scene and it's, 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 it's extremely well shot and extremely well written, but it's, it's just assumes that this is, you're you know what's going on here so it was it was it was a surprise watching again i i thought i remembered more of hand holding than there actually was here and we have a ceremony where sam makes a great steve speech about steve and he hands over the shield mm-hmm. i i'm i was bothered by when i first saw it i'm still bothered by it every time i rewatch it yep that someone that has been a part of the government is now a government contractor handing it over to the government. Like you, you know where this is going to go. It is no way that this is symbol is going to stay in a museum hands down. That's not going to happen. And it is a, a beautiful scene. It's moving. And I think from there we jump over to Bucky. And so we get a glimpse of Bucky going through therapy and being snarky with the doctor with his, with his therapist back and forth. Which is funny. Uh, Sebastian Stan has good comic timing. He does. Um, I also like the fact that this is one of the rare times in particular in superhero media where therapy is presented positively. Um, generally speaking, it's the, no, he really does need therapy. And we joked about that several times in previous episodes of John was like going, how much has be solved if people's got therapy? And here we have Bucky actually getting therapy. And the therapist is not a secret supervillain it's not doing more damage to him no this is a very hard part of his life that he has to get over and the, the therapeutic stuff i'm not a therapist but i mean therapy stuff is presented here seems and feels authentic based on my limited experience with therapy and therapists and so it was it was i was like oh this is gonna be him you know doing the macho thing of i don't really need therapy and make jokes and walk out and he tries to do that and, and fails at it um, and comes around pretty quickly to like, no, actually this is something I, I really do need to go through this process. Um, and that's his arc for the, 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 the show. But it was just, 
refreshing to be like, no, actually, this is something that particularly traumatized veterans do have to go through and present that offensively, partially because um, Sam was also in that space too in the original Captain America movies. So it was a nice little connectivity there. I was actually going to touch on that later, but since you since you brought it <laughs> up, when we when we're first introduced to Sam, he is helping veterans get used to being back home. And there is a beautiful scene between him and Steve talking about that transition and how important yeah. it is to have someone that's there that's doing that, which then goes back to some of the social worker roots from the comics that he has, but mm-hmm. also taking the military aspect of it and merging them, I think, into a stronger character piece. Completely agree. And one of the nice touches here in the therapy scene with the therapist and Bucky is that she states that she was a soldier and has killed people and understand what it's like. Mm-hmm. Like, that is such a small little line, but carries so much gravity and importance, especially if you know about the military and how for a long time the roles that women had to serve and the fight for them to get into different units. Uh, having served with some with women before and some of the things they weren't able to do that I could do. Mm. And there were some incredibly kick-ass women that left me well in the dust. And I'm like, please wait up. Just, just let me catch up. <laughs> and so it's, it's a small little thing, but it meant the world to me as a viewer and a veteran watching that. Very cool. And we get Bucky's idea of what therapy means, which goes back to what you're saying. It wasn't a, a meeting someone and sort of talking to them. Instead, it's terrorizing someone. Mm-hmm. And not taking the real effort to go past doing what is literally on the book that you're supposed to say. Yep. It's not taking those steps to get better. Mm-hmm. And we get a glimpse then also of Bucky going around with a with an older gentleman who he's befriended. And you don't, Yuri, you don't know a lot about that relationship yet. Mm-hmm. And we have the scene that is too brief in this is where Sam and Rhodey are talking and Rhodey is asking why he gave up the shield. Like Steve gave you a mantle. Why did you give that away? Mm -hmm. It's too brief. It's not delved into it. Doesn't, it doesn't have room to breathe. Yeah. Because I mean, what's really happened here is a completely different team said, we're going to give Sam the shield. And then this new team Heron says, well, we can't run with that because that interferes with the story we have to tell. So we have to have him basically take away from the shield so we can give it to him again. Um, and the, the, there's no adequate explanation because there isn't that explanation. It, it, it's done purely for plot reasons. And it's kind of obvious based by the perfunctory nature of this scene. I want to take a minute, though, to point out that these are our primarily our two black superheroes for the MCU right now, as it stands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not where we're going, but from what they went to. Because originally the MCU, the first, what was it? 10 years? Mm-hmm. Was very much just white superheroes. Yeah. And Rhodey eventually gets uh, the armor, but it's in Iron Man 2. And then it's mm-hmm. not really still being a hero. It's still being more government and being an antagonist for Iron Man. Right. And, but this point they've transitioned into being like the primaries for those mantles. Mm -hmm. 
which I, in one sense, I enjoy. In another sense, it does also show that they have not given enough diversity for what they're doing with their black characters, as pretty much all the black characters in Marvel are military. Yeah. Nick Fury, Rhodey, Sam, all military. There isn't a diverse amongst like their other skill sets yet. Mm-hmm. We could say T'Challa, but that brings in a whole other thing that I could go into. And Right. I mean, even if you get into T'Challa and you slightly expands to they're all related to the, a government in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not that much of a stretch from military to government. And T'Challa is clearly a, a, a military leader as well as a, a you know, a leader of first country. So, I mean, there's still some connectivity to the military throughout that. We transition over to Torres, who is our, our plucky investigator. Mm -hmm. who's like tracking down all the clues and actually leading us into what's going to be the other ongoing plot for the series. And we get a chance to see other superpowered people moving and jumping around. Mm Mm-hmm with a brief glimpse of their use of super strength where you just watch them kick someone and they fly across like a huge way across the street and slamming into things. Nice quick displays of strength and everything else that very, very much reminds you of Steve, like Steve's power set nailed down. Yeah. And one thing that you mentioned before is that we're, we're at the lower power end of the Marvel universe. But one thing this show really does a fantastic job of showing is that even a little bit on the scale of the Marvel universe still means a ton to the average person on the street. Um, so we're not anywhere near the Avengers level. We're not looking at four strength or Hulk strength or any of that. This is like you said, Steve Rogers, Captain America strength. So, um, but the show, because it's, it's such a grounded perspective on the Marvel universe, it feels like these things are still a danger, which is true. The whole conceit is, is it's, Yet another super serum MacGuffin for the Marvel Universe, but this time we're actually seeing proper stakes as opposed to more generalized, and it will be bad for people. You know, now, now we're actually seeing, okay, this is what it actually looks like when these people have to engage with people who have been powered in this way. And we'll end, well, actually, we can't. We jump over to Louisiana, where you get to see Sam's family, and you get to see the sister and learn that she's been here the entire five years and all the struggles that she's had to go through during this time. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a great encapsulation to then go and help ground Sam. Cause up till now we haven't seen a lot of Sam's family at all. We yeah. know that when Steve needed help, he stepped up and then he's just been running the entire time constantly as Steve second. Mm-hmm. And we get to the bank scene. I cannot express to you how painful this was to watch. <laughs> having I know people are going to say now that banking has moved on to being more online and things and that's not completely true in all cases a lot yeah. of the time you still have to go in engage and sit there and do all these things and having had to take try to take loans a billion years ago and having a treatment very similar where they were actively find, trying to find reasons not to help me I mm-hmm. saw what was going on mm-hmm. and I hated it hated it Hated it, but I loved how well it was acted and portrayed in the stream. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I mean, you're right. It, uh, on the one hand, uh, the dialogue, the writing was really good there, but the way the actors brought an extra layer to, like, especially Sam, because you can 
feel Sam trying to thread the needle on this, trying to kind of be the peacemaker, and neither side is, is remotely interested in giving um, for uh, uh, at least on one, on one side, and his family side, very valid reasons, his sister. Um, and, and his pain of trying to reconcile this in the middle of the conversation, and he's throwing jokes out that are landing very flat, uh, on the, all felt very real and organic, and it just reminds me how fantastic these actors are when they're given some really good material. And something that I groaned at, but I loved is when he first got home and his nephews run up to him and say, uncle Sam, I groaned and yep. I loved it all at once. Yep. It was, Oh, chef's kiss. <laughs> and we will end unless you have anything else after this, we get to see the new captain America. John Walker is announced and you get to see how heartbroken Sam looks and how it was a sister that ran in to tell him to let him know about this thing that is just going on. This is even after she's made comments throughout the show so far about how you left us to go join the Air Force, to go fight all these supervillains, but knows this is so important to him that he needs to see it as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any final comments on the first episode? Uh, fuck John Walker. Right. <laughs> Season one, episode four, the whole world is watching. Io gives Barnes eight hours to use Zemo before the Wakandans take him. As Zemo killed their king, T'Chaka. Zemo helps find... Morgenthau. I forgot how to pronounce her name now. I think it's Morgenthau. Um, what's that? I think it's Morgenthau. Thank you. I was going to say Carly. Um, that's her first <laughs> name. As if in case people can't tell, it's a little early and I'm still waking up. But I love this podcast so much that I will stay up to the wee hours of the morning to help record it. And when I make a, a, a flub when I'm reading a line, I will then go off on a tangent to distract you from the flub <laughs> I've just made. Uh, Zemo helps find Morgenthau at a funeral for her adoptive mother, where Walker and Hopkins intercept them. Wilson speaks with Morgenthau alone and attempts to persuade her to end the violence. But an impatient asshole, Walker, intervenes and a fight ensues. Zemo destroys most of the super soldier serum that Morgenthau was carrying before he is knocked unconscious by Walker, who secretly takes the last file. Io and the Dora Milaje come for Zemo, but Walker refuses to hand him over. And in the ensuing fight, Dora Milaje humiliate Walker while Zemo escapes Morgenthau threatens Sarah, forcing Wilson to meet with her to attempt to persuade him to join her. Walker and Hoskins engage other members of the Flag Smashers, leading to another fight in which Morgenthau accidentally and brutally kills Battlestar. <laughs> Enraged by his friend's death and having taken the serum, Walker uses a shield to kill one of the Flag Smashers in front of the horrified bystanders who film his actions. And one of the reasons I chose this episode is the graphic, graphic scene of Captain America with a bloody shield having just decapitated someone standing in front of a group of people not at all looking remorseful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful image. Uh, I do want to say, because I doubt we're going to talk about the scene too much, but um, very quickly, uh, there is a, a sh very short scene uh, where uh, Carter is walking down a uh, passageway. She's in uh, 
fictional country in the Marvel Universe. She's talking on a cell phone and she's walking by a graffiti uh, tunnel. I lived five minutes away from that tunnel in Atlanta. Um, so this, this, is, this is the continued uncanny valley of the Marvel Universe where everything in the world is also secretly Atlanta. And I'm going, oh, yes, this is this is, you know, halfway across the world. But also I, I've driven down that tunnel. And I remember when that tunnel was closed off for filming and it annoyed me. So when did you move to Madripoor? <laughs> Clearly, I moved there about 10 years ago. <laughs> Um, and Madripoor is slightly better laws than Atlanta, Georgia, but anyway. <laughs> um, we mentioned how in WandaVision, they constantly trolled fans, like yeah. left and right. Captain America and the Winter Soldier doesn't troll fans. Instead, it drops these like key little snippets in words that get people so excited for the possibilities. Like, mm. for instance, uh, Madripoor is overly associated with Wolverine and people are like, is, yep. are the X-Men going to show up right now? Are we going to get Wolverine? Just a guy with a patch hanging out in the bar. And it yes. does absolutely nothing with any of it. No. Nope. So Ma- Madripoor okay. is just random country that they pulled out of the Marvel encyclopedia and said, oh yeah, we can set things there. Kind of like they this did. Show, in a, actually, I think it was this show did it too. Although we skipped the episode where they they mentioned um, Latveria, and I was like, oh, and did nothing with it. Yeah, uh, this show doesn't troll you, but it teases you and, yeah. and leaves you wanting that little little tidbit that you never get. Mm-hmm. I when I was first watching it, I was a little surprised that the Dormelage actually showed up in the show. I wasn't expecting them. I knew that they'd gotten Zemo and it was a nice touchback for Bucky considering all the time that he spent at Wakanda. And it was great to see how some of the lit latter parts of the deprogramming that he went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that also speaks to a larger thread through this show that upon rewatching it, I really liked, which is that, the MCU and consequences have a very fuzzy relationship. Um, and this is initially on the show, it's pretty clear. Okay. The show's going to actually dig into uh, uh, the blip and what happened there that we saw a little bit of that in one division. This is more about, okay, how the world actually changed during that five years, because that's a huge, massive change. But then also separately, it's, it's digging into the consequences of, of the other movies in a way that doesn't make sense for a movie to do, but, at some point in time we should see. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a lot of this is really let's, let's play through a lot of what's been playing out over several different movies and have all of those consequences kind of funnel through this and really dig into those in, on, a, on a deeper level. And so it was actually very cool because again, this is a show that's designed to be for people who've seen these movies. So from that perspective, it's really amazing that they actually do stuff like it's pulling through Melange. Let's, let's, let's talk about, you know, the fact that, yes, Winter Soldier was in uh, Wakanda, and this is all, it all feels natural. It's, let's bring Zemo back and have him deal with that. Uh, you know, let, let's, let's, let's bring Sharon Carter back and all the shit she had to go through. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was, it was, this episode really kind of showed, okay, yes, we're really actually going to, to talk about this stuff, which some in some ways makes subsequent shows a little more frustrating because they then did nothing with what this show was trying to say. Um, because there was a really potentially very strong way. Okay, and more and more and more. Um, and other just shows just don't seem inclined to engage with that. But it was nice to see at least one show was willing to go, okay, no, let's really talk about this. 
And it, it was. And the very premise behind the Flag Smashers being people that were glad, well, not glad, but made the best out of the bad situation with so much of the population being gone and finding ways to unite and people getting to live in new homes, moving to new countries. And it became one world really over one nation because there were so few people here mm-hmm. and having people that want that to go back to that and want to protect what they had is a very, very human thing. You yeah. get, you adapt and then whatever the new standard is, that is what you want to continue to live like. And to mm-hmm. have all those people come back and disrupt everything all over again it was good to see that there are people that just don't want that. They can find the positives and things and they want to try to get those back right. and to have a more moral complex argument. Then we understand this is what happened while all these people were gone. And this is a life that you built, but this was a life these people had before they left and then trying to find a middle ground between those two. Right. There was, there was a point in this show. I think it was around here where I was, Watching it week to week, I was getting uncomfortable because the Flag Smashers could have very easily been a stand-in for every young protest movement that was happening around 2020 and 2021. Yep. And I'm like, this could go really fucking bad if it's handled badly. Um, And to its credit, it it does address the very complicated nature of, of protest and how it relates to everything reasonably well in, a, in an MCU way. And there's a certain amount of status quo that has to happen because it's the MCU. Um, but uh, certainly um, it's, it's a lot of this conversation is uncomfortable and this show doesn't directly uh, address it head on. It kind of comes at it from a side perspective. It doesn't ignore it, which a lot of other shows we've watched have just flat out ignored these consequences. This show is like, we, we're not here to talk into that specific element of it. We're very focused on a certain thing. We're doing a certain thing, but we're going to acknowledge this conversation exists and recognize that's complicated before we move on to the thing we're talking about, which is better than most of the shows we've watched have done. And one of the reasons I chose this episode, other than the great graphic scene of Captain America, is it is at this point where it takes a severe turn because up to now they they're having that discussion that you were just talking about and it was more I'm not gonna say nuanced it was uh, yeah. more on point but now we're at the point in the show where they say that we need to establish a real villain and that's where this is where Carly takes a turn from that mm-hmm. to being more of a villain and starts mm-hmm. killing more civilians and everything else which then turns away from that. Right, and, and that's where it became goes into that full uncomfortableness that you were just touching on. Yeah, and I do like that the show said we're going to take an extreme left ideology and ideologue, an extreme right ideologue, give them the exact same MacGuffin, the exact same super serum, and watch them both collapse. Um, so it could have. At any point in time, the show could have been, look, all extremists are the same, and that's not true. And the show, thankfully, never takes that step. But it does say it's not their ideology that this path. It is the super serum, this, this, this faux drug that is pushing them. But all of that's, but it's not also just the drug, right? Each of the, We see the arcs going this direction, and they could pull out, but then they can access this power, and they instead go the opposite direction. So they all feel like natural character evolutions, natural character arcs, but at no point in time is one position is better than the other. So it's a, it's a nice neutral way to set up this really interesting conflict that could have been handled pretty badly. And it is a perfect touchstone back 
to the first Captain America movie, where mm-hmm. you have the scientist telling Steve that the serum doesn't change you, it just magnifies what's inside of you. Yeah. And that's where you have your parallel between Captain America and the Red Skull, who both took the serum. Mm-hmm. And it's a good destroy of that. And it retells that story between these two in a more complex manner. Yeah. Because there was mm-hmm. given more time to tell that story. Absolutely. Now, having said that, we get... So, they, they've massaged Zemo's character in this series. Yeah. Because this Zemo is not the Zemo uh, from Captain America Civil War. He's, he's more comic... And he's less of the character type that he was beforehand. If mm-hmm. we talk about Loki, I'm going to have a similar discussion about that because the Loki in that Loki TV series is not the Loki from that point in their timeline. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy the changes they made to Zemo and it feels more like a character that's in a comic book. Just from like the plotting and everything else about how Daniel Brühl is playing the character. And I got a kick out of it. I still laughed even now when I was watching it. And unfortunately, it makes you kind of like Zemo and you're rooting for Zemo just a, just a little bit. Just like a smidge. Right. right. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the uh, things that these shows can do better because you're right. Marvel Comics, one of the things it, it really cemented it as a leader in comic books is the fact that characters were, I won't say nuanced, but certainly were complicated. Uh, and could slide between the hero and villain spectrum. In fact, they even established there was a spectrum rather than a binary. Um, and so you could have fantastic stories like Magneto, who goes all the way from the worst villain all the way to the most heroic character and then back again. Um, but that story is told over years of storytelling and dozens of issues. And so what we're happening is a similar arc for Zemo told in such a compressed space compressed space that yes there's a tv show that that's talking about this but the problem is he's already made that transition off screen effectively um and so you're right you get the the dissonance of like it's the same actor he's using the same voice but is it the same character it's hard to tell and at this point we have solidly established that we the genre that this superhero show is riffing on is the buddy cop show hands down There's Mm -hmm. no other question at all about what the genre is. We're in a buddy cop show that is, has a global scale. Mm -hmm. And for people that like your lethal weapons, it is in fact, uh, Danny Glover, the asshole, Mel Gibson Mm -hmm. and Joe Pesci right there. All three of them. Yeah. 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 You're right. All right. So then we go into the investigation where they sort of find out where the actual funeral is going to happen for this, figure that Carly cares about and it goes pretty well until of course we get the asshole John Walker and Battlestar showing up which is an interesting dynamic because up till now there have been a few scenes where you have all of the like Bucky and Sam and Walker and Battlestar all together and they're never hmm, how would I describe that they're antagonistically co-worker-esque the entire time. Right. And this is the most that we've seen Walker on the breaking point up to this point. Where you, But you get 
you have them convince as a more senior member, Sam and Bucky are able to convince Walker to let Sam take his, his point for the mission, which is to go and try to talk Carly down to convince her that what she's doing is wrong, but there is a better path to take. And you see that it's actually working the longer he gets to talk to her. And she wants to take that step to do what he's trying to discuss. There's a, there's a small moment in here that I want to bring up because it contrasts with something you mentioned in episode one. Um, Two fans walk up to uh, uh, a Walker and Battlestar and ask for an autograph. And they're clearly having a tense conversation. They put on a smile, they do the autograph, and go back to super intense with the fuck conversation. Uh, Throughout this show, uh, uh, both Sam and Walker are celebrities. How Sam interacts with his celebrity is he clearly is humble and grateful for being able to serve. Right, is that he sees this as these are these are people who want to uh, uh, show their thanks for him, um, but he is not at all seen as transactional, right? It's just you know, hey, thank you for taking the time to to show me, tell me you appreciate me, kind of dynamic. Um, or occasionally, it's it's awkward for him, but but he 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 much like Steve, used his celebrity sparingly and tactically to promote the overall goals he had, which is to try to promote th- these idealistic views. With Walker, his celebrity is always transactional. There are posters up. He uh, gives selfies. He gives autographs. It is very much a, a, a transaction. I would give you a thing to order to in order to promote my celebrity, my visibility. And the celebrity is the end goal for Walker on some level. That is not the same way with both Sam and with Steve. Absolutely. And we get the obligatory fight scene when Walker breaks in and Carly thinks that Sam was trying to play her the whole time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of running around, there's fighting, there's shenanigans. What I want, really want to touch on in the scene is Zemo is that we've established up this point. Zemo hates super soldiers, the very concept of he abhors. And so mm-hmm. when, he manages to get Carly, and when the super soldier serum sort of scatters around the vials that she has, he doesn't care about her anymore. And they, you show them actively with hate, trying to stomp each and every one of them to ensure there's no other super soldiers, and that lets her escape. Mm-hmm. Like That is a good encapsulation of a character, and showing the motivation of them all distilled down into a, a few beats. And that was just really well done. Yeah, and, and similarly, um, is again a, a subtle, surprisingly subtle show. Again, I missed this all the first time through. This is all stuff I saw in the second viewing, which made me appreciate better. Um, the equation of the super soldier serum with Turkish delight that happened in this episode, um, where it's like, oh, kids love Turkish delight because it's colorful and it makes them happy. Um, and the way he scatters Turkish delight at one moment in the show, and there's a focus on that, is identical to the way the super soldier serum is scattered on the ground. And so in his mind, we see that Zemo equates the people who go after the surface as children. That's how he views the world. And it's never, those words are never put in anyone's mouth, but by the way it's shot and the way he reacts to things, you can see his worldview and how he views people who lust after this, this chemical power. Um, and again, it was like, there's a lot of cells that I think this show didn't get the respect for because it was following after WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Hands down. So after the fight, we have Zemo on the couch after Walker knocked him out. And Sam, and Zemo turns to Sam and asks, like, would you have taken the serum if you are given the chance, hypothetically? 
Mm-hmm. And without question and hesitation, Sam says no. Yep. That goes and shows like the character that Sam has and what he believes. And then we get our big Dormelage fight where they just hands down whip everyone in the room. Just school Walker so much. <laughs> just everybody. It's, it's so sad. And you get Sam that eventually tells Bucky, you should, you should, Sam tells Bucky he should help. And when Bucky tries to intercede, they school Bucky. Mm-hmm. And that's when he learns that the Wakandans built a failsafe for the arm they gave him mm-hmm. that he wasn't aware of. And you see all the trauma back on his face from that, that just momentary thing. Yeah. Such great action and such great acting all together at one time. Loved it. Um, uh, and again, another moment. Um, and this is, this is something that, because we haven't talked about the Black Panther movies, I, I, I need a place to put this conversation in. Uh, but I love how Wakandan technology does not assume a Western default. Like the fact that uh, they developed effectively smartphones decades long before the U.S. did. Um, and so that's what I have the, the beads um, that they, they send out. And I love the fact that they do that because it makes so much sense because a lot of our smartphone technology evolved from computers and from monitors. If you don't have monitors as a default, you have to find some other way to present this technology. And so every time Wakanda technology shows up on screen, I love the fact that they're always kind of showing that it's not, it's a logical extrapolation of their culture while still seeming strange to Western eyes. So it's a good balance of it's weird and alien, but also it's like, when you think about it for a second, it's like, oh, that's perfectly logical. And Dormelagia are great at that because they consistently show that they have massive technology, but it worked very naturally into their culture and their fighting styles in a way that looks odd to us as, from our perspective, but is not in fact odd at all. It makes perfect sense to them. And we get the Zemo escape, mm-hmm. which then goes to tell you a story in of itself. Is at any point in time, Zemo could have escaped from Sam and Bucky. Yep. Which then as a, as a viewer, you're wondering what is his greater plan? If he could have done this at any point in time, he was there because he chose to be there with these two and helping them because he chose to do so. Right. And again, the show sets this up really well. We, an episode we missed when they first get Zemo, uh, uh, Sam and Bucky are all a lot of time like going, we know who we're getting involved with. We know this guy probably is using us. This is a mutual benefit. And then Zemo got what he wanted and left. And Sam and Bucky aren't surprised by it. They're annoyed by it, but they're not surprised by it, right? Um, so it's the, oh, this is this is the inevitable trail we expected. It, it's clearly happening now, we guess. Um, so now we have to live with that. But it's also surprising because, again, he's been so funny. And Marvel did a beautiful thing, which we missed, is that uh, at one point they go to a nightclub. <laughs> and Zemo's dancing, right? And it's a little thing. And then Marvel puts out the one-hour Zemo dancing mix on YouTube. And so... Again, we as the audience became really invested in Zemo. Oh, look, he's, he's awkwardly dancing. Isn't that cute and funny? And then this ha- scene happens, and it's just like, oh, shit, that's right. I forgot he's a villain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, picking these three episodes was very hard because yeah. there's some beats in other episodes I like better, but I think these are more pertinent to the larger story. No, I agree. And I agree. As six episodes, it's also really hard to make a choice 
with such a, a narrow slice, given that we are covering half the sh- half the show, right? Right there. Yeah. And we get uh, Carly's jump now to like being more villain, villain again, where she's killed civilians, but now she calls Sam's sister and threatens them to get them to move into place. Mm-hmm. Like taking that other step. Each one is like just small little steps more and more into being a villain given her original ideals and everything else from where she started. Yep. And we get another great fight scene. If you want to add something in, I, I find that fight scenes, we can just sort of, I agree. I mean, cruise over. Usually it's, it's, it's a, yep. That was a fight scene. It was really well done. That's about all we can really say about those. Uh, and the death of Battlestar is something that is stopped and lingered on to show mm-hmm. you how it was. Cause he had no superpowers he was just there trying to to be a second and help his buddy. And it shows you also how easily Sam was doing that with Steve and how Sam could have been killed up to this point in time. Yep. It was a really great chance to show even better how exceptional Sam is uh, because Hoskins couldn't keep up in the same way that Sam was able to keep up with Steve Rogers. Um, and... What's also interesting is for comic book fans, well, I mean, even MCU, it's like, you know, Steve believe um, Bucky died. Steve could have gone this route too, but didn't. So uh, at the end of the day, we see that Walker was given every single exact same challenge that Steve had almost beat for beat and fails every single time. He makes the wrong decisions every single time. And something that I, I sort of skimmed over is it the conversation that you're talking about where Walker's transitional signing things for fans mm-hmm. is where you have Battlestar and Fate Cap discussing the actions they took over overseas and how yep. those were not at all honorable, but they've got all these medals for them, Yep, which goes more into showing you how bad these people are. And if all the super surgical serum does is magnify what's inside of you in every way, that is going to definitely be a horrible cocktail that you end up with. Right. And it, it, it's, there's a, a delicate balance here because Hoskins is actually really important to make this scene work um, because he's has opportunities to try to pull Walker, to, to push Walker in the right direction, ethically. And he walks right up to the line of those conversations, but Walker overpowers him and Hoskins backs down every time. We've seen a couple times. This is another op- opportunity where Hoskins could have said, maybe we shouldn't do this and starts to go in that direction, but then pivots away. Um, and so we, as the viewer, need to feel like Hoskins, his losses is important because we have to feel that sympathy, if not empathy, for what Walker does. Um, and I think it's a good job here, but you're right. It's like when you take a step back, Hoskins is also a piece of shit, right? I mean, you know, there's still very much someone who blindly followed orders and in some degree reveled in the violence that he was involved with. So it's, it's really great that the actor and the writing makes you forget that throughout all of this, particularly this episode, you, to, you feel, you feel that loss, but like, no, he's not a good person either. Mm-hmm. And you having said that also then goes back and highlights what it means to be Captain America. Mm-hmm. Frequently, people think being Captain America means being a tool for the government and following orders. Mm-hmm. That is never what Captain America has been. Captain America has been about a symbol for the people and doing the right 
thing and the right inspirational thing for people. That's why in the comics, even Civil War, when the government says they want to have all superheroes register and make all their identities known, Cap fights against it because that goes against those people's rights to make their own choices and decisions. Yep. And you have Iron Man, who is a government stooge that tries to go and enforce it. Mm-hmm. I stand by Tony Stark, greatest villain in the uh, comics and in the MCU. Said it, done. I'm moving on. Um, more reason to go back to our real Star Wars again if you want to know more about that particular <laughs> viewpoint. <laughs> uh, and we also, this is also the episode that Sam realizes that Walker must have taken Super Soldier Serum from the moves that he was making fighting against the Flag Smashers. And that run out in front of the crowd and seeing the flag smasher saying, I'm not the one that did it, falling down and all the people watching, like the whole world's watching. And they start taking pictures and just with brutal-esque Wolverine-like rage, he kills this person and then turns and just stares at everyone with like blood dripping down from the shield. One of the best images of this series. And, and, and two points I want to make about that. One is... Um, it really reminds, especially watching this so soon after the boys, it reminded me how much less is more can be good because the violence is nowhere near anything we saw in the boys or really any of the uh, heavily violent superhero shows we watched recently. And yet it feels stronger because you don't see it. You just see the camera of uh, the shield coming down towards the camera. And then you see the blood in the shield. You fill in that gap in a way that's much more horrible than anything showing you would have done. The other thing I noticed this time around is when Walker puts the shield back on and you have that kind of camera up angle where you see the shield's primarily foreground, um, the face is kind of shadowed, but and he's kind of turning away from the camera a little bit. That's the same pose that Steve had for the second Captain America movie poster. And so once again, we have Walker trying to emulate Steve and the blood on the shield is visibly showing his failure to do so. Um, so it, it's a great visual moment that really continues to reinforce the story of Walker continuing to fail up to Steve Rogers. Perfect. Uh, if you don't have anything else, we'll move on to the last episode recovering because that's just too good of a point to follow after. Yeah. Season one, episode six, one world, one people wearing a new captain America uniform and flight suit from Wakanda. Captain America flies to New York to stop the Flag Smashers attack with the help of Winter Soldier, Agent 13. And for some reason, (laughs) fake Cap decides to show up. Uh, Carter accidentally reveals that she is a power broker to Petrock the Leaper and kills him while Wilson attempts to reason with Morgenthal before Carter kills her as well. Wilson convinces the the GRC to postpone the forced relocation of displaced people that Morgenthal died fighting for and instead makes efforts to help them. The remaining serum enhanced flag smashers are caught by Barnes and Walker and sent to the raft, but they're killed by Zemo's butler in route. Uh, Elaine from Seinfeld gives Walker a <laughs> new uniform and code name US agent. Barnes makes amends with everyone he hurt or enabled as a winter soldier in one of the most sad scenes in this entire series and all of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Wilson has a memorial dedicated to Bradley added to the Captain America museum exhibit in a mid credit scene after receiving a full pardon, Carter rejoins the CIA and intends to use his access to sell government secrets and resources. 
in series captain america the winter soldier so um well, i mentioned before about one of the mysteries and twists uh, i saw carter as the power broker episode three um and i was like it, it can't be it can't be that obvious it, it maybe may you know it'll be twisted again and, and then surely nope i'm power broker and i'm like ah oh. it's so it, to me it was so obvious um <laughs> But again, I was in hyper, let's analyze the mystery mode after WandaVision. And I feel like if I had just been, oh, this would be a fun Marvel series. I'm curious to see where this goes. I think that twist would have hit stronger. But it was it was so telegraphed because it wasn't meant to compete with, again, the very intricate mystery of, of a WandaVision. Um, so it's it's it, one of the many places where I think that the timing really wrecked it because if I could have gone in and been a little more surprised by that reveal, I think Carter's betrayal would have meant more, but now it was just like, I was waiting for the evidence to finally click into place and it finally did. And it's like, eh. well, come on. She's living in Madripoor. There aren't any good people in Madripoor. Well, that was my thing is like, that was actually the reason why that scene stuck out of my head so much is because that was the moment where I was convinced because it's like, she kept referring to the power broker, but we as the audience never saw the power broker and she's doing it while in Madripoor. And I'm like, okay, you're the power broker because I know how television works. And it, you know, if you haven't shown me this character by this point in time, it has to win the character by the midway point of the series, it has to win the characters I've already seen. That's how TV works. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And the constant amount of resources she had whenever Sam or Bucky called in for a favor, right. I can move those satellites for you. What? Right, but you, you, it's like, but you're no longer in the CIA, and like the show has been explicit point. One of the few times it actually recaps is, by the way, remember she got fired, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you, the show is protesting a little too much here. Um, but I bring it up only because that is one of the few weak notes of a very strong finale. Awesome. Um, I specifically mentioned the costume that T'Challa made for Sam. At the, being the first one mm-hmm. for this point right now is that Sam. So episode five is a big training montage with some great beats and Sam helps Bucky come to the, to understand that therapy means just not doing the motions, but being those motions. Yep. And it ends with him getting a suitcase from Wakanda. And in that suitcase is his first uniform and new flight suit built by Wakanda technology. Mm-hmm. Like beautiful. Loved it don't love the costume i love the everything behind it uh so i'm i i, I kind of like the costume uh just because if, if for no other reason very few patriotic superhero costumes emphasize the white in the red white and blue and it was it was nice to see just a, a stronger more explicit palette change right of, of like the um here's a very noble character and let's let's make that visual clear while still keeping the patriotic theme it's, that's important for these kinds of costumes um so from a pure color perspective i've always been a fan of, of the white costume oh yeah I, I love the color of it what the specific part i don't like is the like buds over his ears something about that ears, aesthetic yeah. like aesthetically doesn't work because yeah. a human head some of them um when that goes up, it makes the weird sort of bunch around it and the rest of it pulls tighter on his face and doesn't look quite right. Yeah, I'd almost think fair. if they left the ears exposed, just like a cut. Yes, you've uh, entered the design corner of the show now where we talk about how you make superhero costumes. Um, if they cut that back so that you, and you can't see the motions I'm making that Eddie can see on the camera uh, <laughs> to leave his ears out, that might have that would have made it look better. But at the same time, it would not be as useful in the field 
flying around with your ears poking out like that. Well, what's interesting is that uh, the scene where he's talking to the camera people in the GRC, his ears are exposed in that scene. Um, so the costume can be adapted. Mm. Uh, because I did notice that I was like, you, you don't see very many modern superhero costumes with that kind of ear exposed look. And that's why I noticed at the time, but you're right because normally he has the, so when he's flying, which as someone with hearing loss, I respect, you know, he, he's protecting his hearing when, when with lots of wind going around. So like they have the earbuds for when he's flying, that makes sense. But apparently there are something that can come off or retract or science reason disappear. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, they, they did think of that. But you're, I agree with you that um, that piece of it needs to be kind of resigned and reworked a little bit. Um, but uh, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I I I I, I love the the fact it's not a cowl. I I love the the color of it and the wings look great with it. I mean, I think it's honestly, I think it's one of the stronger superhero costumes. Period. Frankly, then you're going to be very disappointed because some of the footage I've the snap stills I've seen of the upcoming movie, he has a costume that's more reminiscent of Steve's later uh, costume like the dark one when he was running around wakanda i'm i'm, I'm conflicted on that because like on the one hand that helps cement more clearly yes this is really captain america um for the 12 people online that bitch about it i know it's more than 12 but you know i'm sorry um but but also i don't know i mean i, I just i like I, I like brighter costumes and call me a classic comic book nerd but you know it's like some of the the, the dark 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 costume trends just kind of get blurry after a while for me you mean you don't like the X-Men and their black spandex? I, I, I do like it only because it's a nod to the Grant Morrison run specifically. <laughs> but otherwise, no. It's, it just looks uncomfortable. All right. Um, so we get Sam in a, a great flight scene where he sort of flies in. And another image I love is how he uses the shield while flying. Like mm-hmm. You get that constantly throughout this throughout the show but when he breaks in through the glass for the first time and does his superhero roll and come up beautiful captain america like right there yeah that was or or the scene a little bit later where um he uses a shield on the wings around him to deflect something away from people and they, it, was, it was a great moment because that is a thing that is both perfectly captain america and also something steve could not do it's something that only mm-hmm. sam can do so the fact that you're right they worked his shield into his own signature style was fantastic um, and so in the building with a showdown between Betrock the Leaper and Captain America, she which Betrock. Betrock's not dead. He'll come back somehow. That Betrock, you know what that Betrock was? What? Scroll. Um, <laughs> Secret invasion. So you see how hard of a fight it is for Sam to fight Betrock, which then sort of demonstrates the power difference level. If you remember Steve's fight with Betrock. Right. Because Steve had a hard time, but Steve beat him in a couple minutes compared to Sam. It's he beat him eventually is sort of what you get. Right. But but one thing I liked about it is because the first time through, I, I was annoyed because I was like, why did Sam have to work twice as hard to defeat the same guy Captain America fought? But watching the show again, the show actually does a pretty good job of answering that, which is that um because it's constantly reinforcing super soldier serum, it's like the guy with super soldier serum, the whole point of the reason why we're here, struggled to a finish with Batroc. Sam, with none of that, and objectively and repeatedly insists he doesn't need any of that, still manages to beat this guy. Uh, and beat him not only once, but twice in the course of this show. 
So what I originally had took is Sam having worked twice as hard, do the same thing that Steve did. It turns out that you know Sam is slowly proving he's actually better than Steve because he I mean, yes, he uses technology where instead of uh super soldier serum but he uses the tools available to him consistently and repeatedly and doesn't have the same slippery slope concerns that the other characters who have taken super soldier serum are constantly struggling with sam can focus on what needs to be done and not have to worry about his internal struggles mm-hmm. beautiful um after which a lot of this episode though is big fights and big chasings that are mm-hmm. that are very well done Mm-hmm. But that also means there isn't necessarily a lot to discuss about them unless we want to go beat by beat for the fights. No, I think we there are to a few the points. speech. I mean, that's really kind of where there, we're at going. There are a few points I want to hit before we get to the speech, though. Okay. Is the casual use of the technology that Carter has with, like, the face mask and everything else that we saw in the Captain America and the Soldier that Natasha used, mm-hmm. which then goes back reinforcing all the technology that this art dealer has yes, constantly helping them. And the point I made earlier about them constantly trying to make sure that Walker was likable so that then you could then follow him as U.S. agent into Thunderbolts and everything else where he'll probably end up is frustrating as a viewer. I, I agree with you in the sense that they they tried to make him more likable than he was before. I mean, I, the, the 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 trajectory I completely agree with. I don't think he's that likable because he still comes off as a jerk when Dave Fontana is recruiting him, or sorry, Dave Fontaine as she is now now known, um, uh, not a baroness apparently, uh, because he's still an aggressive, abusive asshole. Like, um, she's like. Hey, so I took care of all the stuff so you could basically be my mercenary for hire. And he's like, cool, yeah, sign me up. I mean, there's no debate. He, he's just like, I, she basically says more or less, I'm going to give you power, mwah ha ha. And he's like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's, she's, she's funny and being flip about it. I mean, hiring a, 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 a woman who's well known for her comedy chops gives a certain energy to Dave Fontaine, but also that arc is being very clear as to where she's going, given her various and subsequent appearances. Uh, but I mean, he, Walker doesn't really flinch. He, he doesn't show any remorse or regret. Really. He's more like, cool. I'm back in the game. That's, that's really his aesthetic. So I'm with you that it, he's more likable than he should be at this point, And that's still frustrating, but I don't think it's near. He's not like, I want to follow us agent. It's, it's more like I'm following this. Cause I want to know where this is going and I want to kind of see him fail again. Cause I think that's where this is going to happen. Uh, I I think you're giving too much credit on multiple fronts that that's where the writers are going to go and that's how people are perceiving it. But I hope that you're right and I, I yeah. will go with your optimism for that and point out again, much how I did in, uh, if we haven't reinforced this enough yet, Armor Wars, I love that color for Captain America costume. Love it. Mm-hmm. I love it in Armor yeah. Wars. Even though it's on the asshole John Walker, I love the aesthetic of that black and red costume. Yeah. Mm. I think it was just missing the pirate boots this time. Pirate boots make everything better. Um, and some, some. I liked how Sam saved the last group of politicians and showing off what the Wakandan suit could do. Mm-hmm. While he doesn't have the super strength of the others, he is still able to do those things. And it was a, a nice touch. 
Well, the, the, there's a nice moment there, which is that the people with superpowers were helpless. Sam got in there and got shit done, right? Um, which this show ultimately answers the question that was presented way back in the first Avenger, right? Because the first Avenger, for those of you who don't remember or didn't watch it, um, the whole point that Steve Rogers was chosen was because he was the man. He was he was the man that could make that super serum soldier better. They were going to make a whole bunch of soldiers that didn't happen for obvious reasons. But the, that movie is the question of how much of Captain America is Steve Rogers and how much of it is super soldier serum. And the movies keep telling us it's Steve Rogers. And granted, it is more show than tell, but still a lot of tell of like, we, we keep being told how Steve Rogers is great. And this whole show ultimately says how Steve Rogers is great. But this that scene answers the question. Captain America can exist, should exist, and will exist independent of any super soldier serum. It, it, dep it absolutely depends on the man in the suit and it has nothing to do with the tools he uses to get the job done. So yes, Sam has super science as opposed to in his body, it's around his body. So ultimately super science does help him, but he was able to do the job that nobody else in that scene could do. And it had everything to do with the fact that it was Sam Wilson and nothing to do with the fact that he had a specific skill set or a specific power set, I should say. Yeah. And we get the scene where Sam flies down carrying Carly, very um, religious s scenery mm -hmm. as we have yeah. as he sort of lays her down. And we get a lot of what Steve also did. Steve gives inspirational speeches about how we can be better. Mm -hmm. And you get to see Sam do that very same thing here. Mm -hmm. And it's not a speech that tells you how we can do it because that's not what Captain America should be doing. Mm -hmm. Captain America should be giving you the drive to figure it out and do better because it's up to us, each individual person, to contribute what we know and what we have to that goal of being better. Yep. And uh, this speech is also where I feel like my, my concern about where that arc of how protest is being portrayed in this show gets pulled out because there's, there's a Sam very directly uses a couple of lines to say, why did these people feel like they needed to do these actions? Yes. They're actually reprehensible. What led them to think that that was a viable solution? You, mm -hmm. you are the reason why they thought this is a viable solution. And that is the correct answer That's the only way out of that particular dive. Um, and he's like, I'm not validating it. I'm not supporting it. I'm, I'm clearly here to stop this. But the fact that we're now here is at your feet. And that was amazingly well-written scene, fantastically acted. They gave it exactly the time it needed. gave it some room to breathe. Um, and also it was great that they took the extra moment to have the supporting cast watching and acknowledging that. Uh, and just not saying anything. And I mean, Bucky makes a snide comment at the end, but that's the relationship they have. They're the buddy cop, right? Of course, they're going to mm -hmm. show camaraderie and affection for each other through verbal abuse. That's what we've established here. Um, but even then, that's extremely muted. And the, 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 the smile on Sebastian Stan's face during all of that is just perfect. He clearly, he can see the pride he has in Sam. And a lot of up till now, between the two of them, people would say your partner and they would frequently say, he's not my partner. Right. 
and you can tell all that is gone completely. Mm-hmm. Yes. These are, I'll, I'll say it, these are two men that love each other now. And that was the other thing that hit me watching this again is that uh, the first time I watched it through, it's like, oh, this is a, a cool, interesting, layered espionage political thriller. Watching it again, I'm struck by how this show is also secretly a show that is attacking, sometimes literally, toxic masculinity. Um, you have Walker as the epitome of toxic masculinity, American toxic masculinity specifically. And you have Sam and Bucky both separately taking two different tacks for how you can get past it. Uh, Sam by embodying stronger ideals and uh, confronting toxic masculinity when he finds it. And Bucky by trying to get past it in himself to become a better person at the other end. So you have external and internal conflicts with toxic masculinity. And it was something that completely missed me the first time through. Second time I was like, this is amazing because these are two very good male role models for anyone to follow. Um, and the fact that they're positioned so well, and then that speech and how they react to it and, and their character arc ending on that speech almost makes the next 15 minutes of the show kind of weird because it's like, that's the ending. And then it kind of just keeps going after that. And it's like, I understand there's other stuff to do, but it was just, this is where I felt like maybe this is where the extra episodes are supposed to be because maybe that was supposed to be the end of this episode and then they had one more episode or two more episodes after this. Um, but that was such a great ending because, like, Sam's Captain America. Everyone believes it. Um, Bucky explicitly not only endorses that, but also will be the second to him in the same way that he was for Steve. Um, it's such a great moment. And then it's like, uh, oh, then – but, but I mean, it's, it's not bad stuff because then we have this – which I'll let you get into it. But, like, you know, Bucky closing off his own loop. I just feel like if there was a way to shuffle that earlier into the series, maybe that would have been nice. But it was still a great moment that I don't want to take away from. You mean you didn't like how it pulled Lord of the Rings and it gave us about 12 different endings? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that really was what I mean. And we say Lord of the Rings as if it's the movie solved. No, the books also kind of do that too. Um, the Hobbit even has like four or five endings where it's like, now we're going to go back to the Shire. It's like, why? <laughs> why? Why is this book still going? Um, but to your point about the toxic masculinity, it also demonstrates something that is hard, at least in U.S. society, is male friendship. Yes. And to see them be able to end as friends was really powerful. As mm-hmm. someone myself that has struggled to find other male friends, because we're as humans, we're all weird and we all have our own things. And to be able to find that middle ground with someone and constantly reinforce that and build to something better is hard for, I'm still going to stick with Americans because I'm American, uh, for mm. better or worse. Uh, Americans are given this ideal that they're supposed to stick to. And if you break it, it is has a lot of repercussions, supposedly. And it's hard to get past it and hard to leave some of that mindset and stuff behind. But we should because it makes us better people. Soapbox stepping off of now, Chris. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the ending, I'm going to start with my least favorite ending of the show out of the 16 we get. <laughs> the Sharon Carter ending, we didn't need it. I'm sorry. No. It's it doesn't mean that could have been dropped into the movie whenever it shows up as like a 30 seconds. Like right. previously on Falcon and Winter Soldier. Power broker. I'm in the CIA. I'll steal your secrets. End. Done. Right. 
as a stinger, it ruins the series, like the power and momentum that we built up to. Yep. The John Walker ending, I understand why it's there, and it's fine. It's that that should have been the mid that should have been the, the mid credits stinger, right? Yeah. That would have been more relevant to the show, to the Captain America mythology, to Sam taking up the mantle, to then ending with John Walker literally flipping saying, but it's black now. That oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And, and honestly, having the show end on the white guy failing upwards would have been a perfect note for this show specifically. <laughs> Are we talking again about American society? Um, <laughs> right? Exactly my point. <laughs> the Isaiah Bradley scene for me was perfect in how I would have ended the show completely. Like mm-hmm. to recognize a legacy of black people and what they've done for the country that is so, so often stolen and ignored to see that brought to light and the original Captain America and ending on that would have been so much more powerful. Yeah, I agree. I also like the fact that, okay, so I was never a fan of the Captain America Museum exhibit concept, right? I understand why it was done. It was done as a way to explain plot in the first movie, and it kind of just stuck around. Um, and I had lots of problems with it. It's like, that's not how museum exhibits work. Um, you know, it, it looks different each time, which is fair. That That's pretty consistent with museum exhibits. Um, but it was like, why does one person get this massive exhibit? And 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 like, I have lots of questions about it, but I do like how this show used it is by starting up that this is a way to talk about Steve Rogers. This whole exhibit was about Steve Rogers. We put his shield here. We put his stuff here, and it's about Steve Rogers. And at the end, they quietly moved the exhibit to being Captain America. Now it has Steve Rogers stuff in it, but now it has Isaiah in it, and presumably Sam stuff will be in it, and Bucky stuff will be in it. And now it becomes an exhibit about this mantle. And so they took this museum exhibit and turn and and use it as a way to explain how we are reframing Captain America as a character to a Captain America as a mantle. So it was a really great moment, and, and having Isaiah in it was so powerful and moving because it also directly showed that I know something you're passionate about the contributions that Black men have to American history are often overlooked, and to have it be like, no, this is not something that everyone gets to see, is a very important statement. Mm-hmm. Like, and I I keep stressing this because as a, a history buff and history writer marginalized people built the country and they built the world and made it better. Mm-hmm. And their stories are so often stolen and erased. And even if you see them now in um, biopics and movies for a long time, they would then go and cast white people to portray these people. And that steals their story. And he has a new generation of people that would just see a movie and think that, Hey, I didn't know. So-and-so was white. That's cool. They then have to go and research it. Like, no, they may have been like Asian. They may have been black. They may have been from anywhere else. And you've lost that. And they've lost, and people aren't going to go to do all the reading and work. And that's why film and media is so important because it conveys that history and story. And it gives roles to people from those demographics and groups to get onto screen to not only present their stories, but provide other opportunities and then give hope to other people to see that people like me are doing this thing. Maybe I can do it too. 
um, not quite American, but my favorite moment recently was when someone online was getting really outraged at D'Artagnan and one of the many adaptations of Musketeers is, is being recast to black. And some people are going, please, please, please Google Victor Hugo. <laughs> please come back and report back what you find because clearly you're missing a very, very important part of this conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm limiting it specifically to America because I am soapboxing a little bit and I want to keep my perspective from what I understand to be relevant on point. Mm. I could go to a larger discussion. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Right. No, it not makes, makes absolute sense. Not Crips' soapbox. Um, um, do you have any final thoughts on this show? Oh, we, 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 we skipped over it. Um, uh, oh, but uh, the, the Bucky Barnes ending. Um, oh, that's right. Ooh, thank you. I didn't want to. I didn't want to miss that. Yeah. Um, because you know, if you uh, give me a soapbox, I could. <laughs> I'll, I'll hop on there, and I'm, I'm hard to get off. And I feel bad because that was a great way to kind of wrap things up, but uh, I don't want to miss that because it was important as someone who's already starting to, to, to come to terms with his own mental health. Um, that I mean, I've certainly never heard anybody that I'll admit to on the air, but um, going through and having those hard conversations with people and being honest with them being, and, and making yourself emotionally vulnerable to people uh, is really important. And I, to, I'll be blunt. I, I went into this movie, not get, not giving a fuck about the winter soldier. Right. I was like, okay, cool. I, I watched it primarily because I wanted to see Sam Wilson. Uh, and it's like, I guess they have to jam in a guy with a metal arm too. Uh, but I, at the end of it, I cared about both of them very well. And, and I really love the fact that, uh, so many people helped Bucky on his mental health journey, but in the end, he recognizes he needs to make those last steps by himself, and he does it. And to me, he shows more courage talking to his old friend and saying, I killed your son, than he did throughout the entire rest of the show. Mm -hmm. And I am torn on that scene. I am torn on that entire mm -hmm. Bucky relationship. Because mm -hmm. he went out and had to befriend that person because he killed his son to then mm -hmm. have that friendship and bond between them to then go and tell him that he is a person that killed their son. That is mm -hmm. devastating on untold levels. Mm -hmm. And for us then to not know how the resolution ended, like mm. that is frustrating. I agree. I, I'm not saying that one's frustrating. I'm, I'm saying that is devastating and the best way to do it. Because if Yuri hits it, Oh, that's okay. That would have destroyed the character of Yuri. If Yuri mm -hmm. had been abhorrently horrified by it and kicked him out or called the police on him, that would have been justifiable, but that's not necessarily what we wanted to see for a conclusion of the show. Mm. Okay. Leaving it in an unknown space is better. That lets us make our own choice about it. It goes back to how we're talking about when Walker uses a shield to kill someone. Yeah. Us not seeing and not knowing is more powerful than showing it to us. Our imaginations are better than anything we will see okay. on camera. Nope. That, that, that's a, that's a fair rebuttal. I, I withdraw my, my concern. It's that finding that point that leads up to it to stop. That's always the key part mm -hmm. that is frequently missed. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, the only frustrating part of that scene was him looking at his book with all the names crossed out. 
uh, because it implied that his journey's at an end. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's true. I think that's going to be something that's always going on with him. Uh, in much the same way that uh, Tony's alcoholism arc in the Iron Man movies kind of gets swept under the rug after Iron Man 2. Uh, he'll occasionally make a comment about how he doesn't drink, but he, he never is seen to continually struggle with that. It's just kind of... Uh, he, I, I argue that he's basically just supplements his addiction into being a superhero, and that's where his addiction ends up going, and ultimately that's what kills him. Uh, but people don't like that interpretation, so we don't talk about it much. Um, it's a good uh, one, though, so we should talk about it. Uh, I, I, I hope that this is something that continues to come up uh, in interesting ways. Um, I do like that they do have a scene in an earlier episode where Dormelage goes through the activation sequence and does nothing. Um, so at least we explicitly and canonically know he cannot be activated that way anymore. And so hopefully people will stop going to Sebastian Stan at conventions and saying that to him because it's really irritating and it's a <laughs> shitty thing to do. Please stop doing that. Um, uh, that's, that's been closed. We can, that's no longer valid. We're done with that. Um, uh, but I mean, it's again, it, I, I bring it up because... I think it's a great parallel because, again, Sam in front of lots of people and cameras explicitly confronts all these problems head on where Bucky is dealing with them in himself. And it's the great way to, to end those those twin threads. Um, and you're right. I think all the other endings end up making that a bit messier than I feel like maybe it warrants being. Um, but this really is a show about falcon and the winter soldier on some level and so both characters are getting uh, a resolution here i also liked one thing we skipped over is, is um we have mentioned in the show you've mentioned the show certainly uh the parents put black in front of superhero names if they're black and so the black falcon running gag through this was actually great and then having one guy say no he's captain america it's like it's, it's on the nose it's it's a little schmaltzy but it's good right it, it's the we're going to we're going to directly confront the super weird thing about 70s superhero writing and we're just going to quietly put a bow around that and throw it out the fucking window we're done with that now thanks but it goes back to something that we've said a couple times <clears throat> we're in a space now where you need to be that blunt Yes, because there are people that will actively ignore it unless you literally hit them over the head with it. And then half of them will still ignore it, but it's harder. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts on Captain America and the Winter Soldier? Uh, just that um, I'll, I'll repeat what I said at the top. Um, this is one of the few times I'll say, is, if you've seen it before, it's definitely worth going back and watching over again. Because at least for me, there were layers I saw a second time around that added to my enjoyment of the show. And that is something that is maybe not surprisingly rare on this. There's been other shows that we've been through that. Certainly Deep Space Nine, uh, but it was that for me too. Um, but uh, of all the superhero runs specifically, this is one where the big dumb superhero fights actually distracted me from the actual subtle nuance that was happening here. And so it was paced really well. And I continue to, to iterate. If you have a preferred viewing order of Marvel superior, if you go back and binge this stuff, put this before one vision. Cause I think more and more and more, that's where it should have been all along. Agreed. Um, so I started off at the top saying that I hate and despises uh, conceit for the show. 
Mm. I do. I still do. Mm. I, though, loved the show, that aside, from the Mm. excellent writing, from the spectacular acting, from where it ended up and getting Sam to give that speech. Out of all the Marvel Disney Plus shows right now, at time of recording, this is my favorite one. Mm -hmm. Because it's the characters I love. It is. I I love Captain America. Uh, Cap is probably my favorite superhero. Always has been. Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about Spider-Man because Spider-Man has the concept that anyone can be under the mask. And growing up as a kid, that was incredibly important. Like, to me as a person, to think that I could be that person doing that, which you couldn't do with Captain America, no matter how much you may like the character. And now they've made, Marvel has made an extended effort to make Captain America's mantle similar to that. If you go and look at the comics, there are dozens of different people that have now been Captain America in the main MCU, I think. And that is a great step, is that all these superheroes the more predominant ones that we have were usually made in the sixties or seventies or eighties. And they were had, there was a mandate almost that most of them had to be white mm-hmm. and that detracts and destroys from their character and being able to pass it on to a new generation. Now I think we're entering a space where we're transitioning all those characters to be mantles that other people can step into if they live up to the ideals that are established by the character. Mm-hmm. It's the ideals that are more important for them to be the mantle, not like their race, their gender or any of that. And that should be, that's why there should be lots of different people taking up the mantle to do those things. And you get to tell different stories, you get different perspectives, but the heart of the character stays the same. And that's what this did. Completely agree. What we'll be talking about next time. Well, continuing our trend of both uh, shows that we see ourselves in and also characters passing on mantles, uh, we are going to watch Hawkeye, uh, which is about uh, a guy with hearing loss handing on his bow shooting skills to a rich white girl. So we start with episode one, Never Meet Your Heroes, episode three, Echoes, and ending with episode four, Partners, Am I Right? If folks are looking to buy some of your merch because the only way that you keep doing this podcast is that we plug all of your merch every time there Eddie sent me an email saying we don't plug my work enough it's so in my contract that a, I totally have <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I make an exerted effort to make sure we plug your merch so we'll keep doing the show because I like waking up at like 3 in the morning to come and podcast <laughs> Well, if you do want to buy my stuff, um, the best two ways to do that um, is if you want my creator-owned stuff, uh, that is all at realmsofpugmire.com, where you can buy anything related to the self-named Realms of Pugmire. Uh, The rest of my work you can find on pugsteady.com. That's P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. You can also find me online at both Twitter and dice.camp in that name. Or you can find me on the Darker Hue Discords, where I'm asking questions like, hey, what 4X space game should I play? Um, and so people have actually answered that question. So if you want to know, I'd say go to the discord and find out. Yeah. Find out if, if you're looking for me, uh, you know what, if you want to buy my stuff, you can go to my website, darkerstudios.com. You can go to indie press revolution and they have, I think about a hundred books left that I would love to sell because that's all they got. And then there'll be no more physical copies of haunted West in the world. Just saying, or wow. you can find me personally on Twitter, still at dark underscore Hugh or at dice camp at DHS. 
All right, with that, we will see you all next week where we watch Hawkeye. Talk to you later. Be seeing you.